Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from April 12th by Pastor Randy titled, Why We Celebrate. All right, welcome Grandview. Here we are gathered in isolation, separation, just sort of like Jesus was isolated and separated as he bore our sins. But three days later, Three days later, the disciples and then some others, and then it spread to others all throughout, begin to, to talk about in Jerusalem and then the surrounding reason, region and then throughout that whole known world that he is risen. And people were responding, he was risen indeed. But still, the same thing that was going on then is going on now. Where a lot of people hear about this, and they see this and they think, oh, Christianity, it's just another religion. Well, Christianity is not a religion because Christianity does not rise and fall on any sort of teaching or philosophy. Christianity rises and falls on what happened one day in history, an event when Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we celebrate. That's why today is the greatest day of the year if you're a Christian because we're celebrating the foundation of everything that we believe. Because Christianity does not have a foundation on Christians or or how Christians behave, or teaching, or philosophy, or even the Bible. The foundation of Christianity is an event that took place in history when Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we celebrate. That's what we're all about. So this is the greatest day of the year if you're a Christian. And first of all, what I'd like to do just to to help hone in on that is look at some verses in Colossians where Paul writes, and he's talking about not only how Jesus is central to everything, but how the resurrection is central to Jesus. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And in here, uh, Paul is using pronouns for Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to substitute Jesus' name for those pronouns. Okay? So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. So right there, Paul answers how we got here, how we were created, and why we were created. We were created by Jesus and for Jesus to shine a spotlight on him, to, to glorify him. Then he goes on in the next two verses. It says, Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. Jesus is also head of the body, the church, and Jesus is the beginning. And here comes two important phrases. The firstborn from the dead, so that he himself would come to have first place in everything. So not only is Jesus central to creation, the resurrection is central to Jesus. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus died on the cross, he bore our sins on the cross, and he rose again, that he might have supremacy, first place in every thought, every day of our lives. So every day of our lives, there should be an intersection with the resurrection. It should show up every day of our lives. Let me explain it to you this way. How many of you have ever done some of those DNA tests to, to figure out your lineage and your genealogy? Now, they have them these days where those that send you a test tube and you spit in a test tube and you send it back to them about a month later. They give you your genealogy, your, your lineage. Uh, and, and they'll say, okay, well, you're part this or you're part that. But, but some of them will even tell you when those parts came in to your lineage, to, to, to your genealogy. In other words, they'll say, 
Well, in the 1700s or around 1750, there was some Italian thrown in there. And then in the 1400s, there was some Welsh that was thrown in there. And then 1800s, there was some African that was thrown in there. And you can see how all those strands made it into your DNA that has an effect on who you are today. Well, in the same way, when you become a Christian, the resurrection becomes a part of your spiritual DNA. Uh, you can you can look back and say, you know, the resurrection, that part of it was not just a day in history, but it was a day in my history Is that still affects me today. And you can look back and see how that came into your life and the effect it should be having on you every day of your life. So what did you come to celebrate on Easter morning? What are you celebrating? Is it just a religious tradition? Or maybe it's an idle belief. Or maybe it's a, it's a changing power and event that still has an effect on your life today. Because there's a big difference, a huge difference between just believing the resurrection and experiencing the power of the resurrection. And I can understand if you look at Christianity and you look at, you look at uh, Christians and what they do and you just want to run away and, and go as far, be as far away from that as you can. I get that. And I understand that if you believe that the resurrection is an event that has an effect on your life today. But what I don't get is Christians who say they believe in the resurrection, but it doesn't have an effect on their life today. Uh, in effect, what they're doing is they are not experiencing any of the power of Christianity. In effect, what they're doing is, is they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power of it. They're completely missing the gospel. Never. Never underestimate the change that takes place in a person's life when they realize their guilt is gone, their shame is gone, they're forgiven of all their sins, and the power of sin is broken in their life. In the same way, the opposite is true. Nothing shows that a person is missing the resurrection and what it's all about than a person who continues to live with guilt and shame and, and, and sin causes shots in their life. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Why is the resurrection good news? Why should the resurrection be something that, that intersects our lives every day and, and just makes a difference in our daily life? So we're going to go back and we're going to look at uh, in Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother James and Salome brought spices so they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now this wasn't some tiny little boulder, okay? This wasn't something very light. It was probably a ton or, or more than a ton. Even, it could even been a couple of tons. And what they did is they'd roll this down on a track to cover up the entrance to the tomb. And it couldn't roll further that way because there was the mountainside. And it couldn't go back because the, there's the mountainside again. It couldn't come forward. The only way to get rid of that stone is to roll it sort of back up on its track. The problem is it takes some leverage to do that. It takes a little bit of strength to do that. And so the, these women, they're coming to the tomb to give Jesus what they believe he deserves. And, and that's the dilemma. Here's, here's what's going on. They're coming to the tomb and they're saying to themselves, how are, the stone, how are we going to get the stone out of the way? What are we going to do about the stone? How can we get the stone removed? I don't know. We'll just figure it out when we get there. And that's how so many approach their lives, especially when it comes to God. 
How can I be right with God? How can, how can I ever know that I'm going to go to heaven? I don't know. I'll just figure it out when the time comes. Then grace happened. Between verses 3 and 4, grace happened. Let's look at verse 4. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. So what a great picture of grace. They had come to the tomb to do something for Jesus, and they found out Jesus had already done something for them. And that's the way it is in our lives. We come out, we want to try and have a right relationship with God. What can we do? What can I do to be right with God? And we want to try and put these things in our lives. Then we find out. No, God has already done everything necessary for us to have a right relationship with Him. He's taken our sin, our guilt, the power of sin, and rolled it all away. It's all rolled away in our lives, so now we can have a right relationship with Him. And that's what I want us to focus on. Why we should be so excited about Easter. Because all our sin, all our guilt, all our shame, all that power of sin in our lives has been sort of rolled away. And that's a picture that she's... Not only in the New Testament, that's kind of strange analogy, New Testament, but I think the reason we have it here is because we see the same thing in the Old Testament. Joshua is where we see it in the Old Testament. Joshua were leading the, the children of Israel and they come up to the promised land and they're right there on the edge. But what stands between them and crossing over the promised land is the Jordan River and it's a flood stage. So this is a huge obstacle. How are they going to get from where they are to where they need to be? How can they do that? And see, this this is somewhat an analogy of life. Because a lot of times in life, we have this big obstacle that's standing in front of us. It could be a health health obstacle, a relationship obstacle. It could be a financial obstacle. And we wonder, we know where God wants us. We have this big obstacle in our life. How can we get there? How can we get on the other side of this obstacle? But a lot of times, whenever there's a big obstacle that's put in our life, that's when God wants to come and work. That's when God wants to come and do something miraculous. If we'll just hang on, if we'll just keep trusting in Him, we just keep doing the right thing. That's why when you're at the point where it seems like there's no other way for you to get from where you are, from where you need to be, like it seems like it's impossible, the obstacle is too large, that can sometimes, and I think all the time, be the most exciting place in the Christian life. Because you are on the edge of experiencing what God can do by grace, what you could never do by your own strength. And so what happens, that's just sort of added extra stuff, really has nothing to do with the story, it's just extra stuff. But, but what happens is the priests start carrying the ark, on the poles, and so they carried an ark, and as soon as they hit the Jordan River, the rivers roll back all the way upstream to Adam, then all the way downstream, they just flow in the Dead Sea. So now you have this wide swath of land that they can cross over. And so they cross over, and they come to a place called Gilgal. Very important. That night they end up Gilgal. Gilgal means to roll away. Listen to Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so that the name of that place is called Gilgal this day. See, they had spent years in captivity with the reproach of being slaves, years of being away from God, not having a relationship with Him. And now all that, all that reproach that had been upon them, all that is now rolled away in the same way. We are born into brokenness. We are born in this sinful world. Not only that, we've been making choices. Because we think we know better than God how to run our lives. 
And what happens at salvation, God takes all that sin, all that shame, and he rolls it away. And so there's no more condemnation. So three things that I want you to grab a hold of so that you understand why Easter is so exciting. Okay, Number one is this. Guilt is more than a feeling. Oftentimes we hear words like I feel guilty or she's making me feel guilty or they're trying to lay a guilt trip on me. Guilt is more than a feeling. Guilt is associated with our feelings, but guilt is more than a feeling. Guilt is based in fact. That's why in a courtroom, the the foreman of the jury doesn't say, well, we're just going to send him to jail because we feel he's guilty. No. And, and they don't, in a courtroom, nobody asks the defendant, do you feel guilty? And the defendant says, oh, yes, I feel guilty. Well, there you go. He feels guilty. Let's go ahead and just put him in jail. Or do you feel guilty? He says, no, I don't feel guilty. Well, he doesn't feel guilty. So we don't put him in jail. No, what happens is that the foreman of the jury comes up and says, based on the evidence and the facts presented by that evidence, we find a defendant guilty. See, nobody's asking how you feel about it. So guilt is more than a feeling. We are guilty. The second thing is that we all have this guilt before God. Listen to to Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, and then then verse 19. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And then verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God. We're guilty before God. And it says that every mouth be closed. Every mouth be silent. That means nobody's saying anything. Nobody's saying, God, let me, let me explain this. Let me tell you why this happened. And that's a pretty amazing thing because we're great talkbackers, right? You know, we want to give the reason. Uh, this is not my fault. I'm not responsible. We want to do that our whole lives. But come that day of judgment, God is going to lay out that we're guilty and nobody's going to say a thing. Complete quiet. Complete quiet. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's going to be silence there. The third thing, what makes Christianity is unique, is that it's not deciding how we're going to deal with our sins it's showing us how God dealt with our sins. That, that the, the amazing message of the gospel is that God decided to remove our guilt by putting on his son all the sin and all our shame and, and, and all, our, all our guilt. He put the, all that on Christ so that we can have his righteousness. Let's go through the next verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, he's saying there's a whole new way of being right with God and has nothing to do with you keeping a set of rules. has nothing to do with you doing this, this, and this, or not doing this. And that's a good thing because I haven't, and if you were to tell the truth, you haven't never been any good at keeping rules. So he says there's a way to be right with God that has nothing to do with rules. Then he says this in the next verse. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So this righteousness doesn't come by doing something. This righteousness comes by faith in someone. For all those who believe, just as every mouth will be silent, everyone has an opportunity to believe. And then verses 23 and 24. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So we're justified. We're made right with God. How? By a gift. Not do, do, do. Not have this done and stop doing that and do this. It's all done by a gift. And now let, let's, let's, let's see how an Old Testament prophet pictures how this, all, all our sin and guilt has been laid upon Christ. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. See, Jesus is being connected to our guilt. Why? Because he took all that upon us. He took all our sin upon himself. And then verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth. Why? Because on the penalty of sin, every mouth is silent. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus. I didn't do any of this. No, his mouth was shut because he was carrying our guilt as he went to the cross. And then on the cross, as he said at the very end, it is finished. And then he rose again so that our penalty could be erased forever. Now, there's no more sin, no more shame, no more guilt, no more power of sin, no more of that in our lives. That's something that we should never get over. And that's what Jesus focused on in his ministry. How this is something so huge, so big, something that he could do that we could never get over it. Let me just tell you a story read looking at the scriptures. You're familiar with the story in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus goes back to his home territory. And he goes to his house and he's doing some teaching. And people, he was so popular, you know, there's multitudes, crowds around him. So they're all inside the house, all outside the windows, the doors of the house and then these four guys carrying their friend who's lame who can't walk on a pallet and they come up and and see that hey there's no way we can get into Jesus they figure Jesus is the best chance of getting this guy healed but they can't even get to him so we know what they do right they carry him up to the roof tear the roof back and let the guy down before Jesus and everybody knows why that guy's there he didn't come for a sermon but Jesus turns to him and making a lot of people in the crowd mad, not just people in the crowd, but sort of upsetting the guy on the on that pallet who, who's paralyzed. He said, my son, your sins are forgiven. The crowd's upset because they think he doesn't have the authority to forgive sins. The guy on the pallet's upset because, oh, that means you're not going to heal me, right? And, 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 and so he's upset too. But little did they know that Jesus just addressed the thing that would impact him for all eternity. By saying his sins are forgiven. He had done so much further than just allowing him to walk around the earth for a few years. He had taken everything that separated this man from his heavenly father and had erased it. See, the reason this is important is because we all have basic needs, right? One of those today is health. We don't want the virus. We want to be healthy. We want our friends and family to be healthy. That's a big need today. The second big need is, is, is stuff. We've got to be able to pay our bills and we want lots of stuff. We want lots of stuff so we can help other people, right? At least that's why we tell God we want lots of other stuff so we can help other people. So we, we, we want health. We want stuff. Then we want friends and family, right? We want our relationships to be right. We want to have people around us who we love and who love us. We want to be surrounded uh, by friends and family. And then we want success. We want to just be a success in life. So if I don't have my health, that's a big need. If I don't 
have money to be able to pay my bills, that's a big need. If my relationships go south and I don't have friends and family, <coughs> excuse me, surrounding me who love me, that's a big need. If I don't have success, that's a big need. Forgiveness isn't even on my radar screen. I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, man, what I need today is forgiveness. It's not even there on, on my screen. I don't say, I have a problem. I just need forgiveness. Now, two reasons why this is important. Number one, the reason that there's death, the reason that there's viruses, the reason that there's evil, all that is because sin entered the world. The reason this man is laying on his pallet is either because of a disease or misfortune. Both are the results of sin. Man's problem is not his health, it's not his stuff, or not having enough stuff, it's not bad relationships. Those are just the symptoms. Man's problem is that sin has separated us from God. The second thing, the reason why this is important, is because Jesus, he never healed to make people better. Because everybody healed died, right? Nobody's still walking around today saying, Jesus healed me, I can't die. Jesus didn't heal to make people better. Jesus healed to demonstrate he had power and authority over sin. That if he could deal with the physical consequences of sin, he could also deal with the spiritual consequences of sin. So if only, if only we could see forgiveness the way God sees it. If we could just understand the significance of being able to wake up every day knowing that our sin, our guilt, is shame, and sin has no power over me. If we could understand that the greatest gift we could ever be given even if we got nothing else, the greatest gift we could ever be forgiven is forgiveness. Then all those other categories, our health, our relationships, our stuff, all that stuff would lose its significance. And we would be living in light of the resurrection every day. So, here's what happens. Jesus says to him, you know, to show you I have authority to forgive sins, he's saying that to the crowd. He says, I'm going to tell this guy to rise up and walk, to heal him. And he heals him. He says, rise up and walk. And he just gets up and takes stuff and leaves in the middle of all of them. Now they're amazed. Nobody was clapping and amazed when he said, your sins are forgiven. They're amazed now. They're clapping now. The homeowner's okay with having his roof tore up and all that. Now they're amazed. And I think Jesus was disappointed because Jesus knew they didn't get it. Allowing a paralyzed guy to walk around on earth for a few years is nothing, nothing in comparison to having your sins forgiven from God's perspective. But that's what we do, right? We celebrate the temporal at the neglect of the eternal all the time. God didn't just send Jesus into this world so that you could be healthy for a few years, so you could have money for a few years, so you could have great relationships for a few years. He sent his son to die for your sins and rise again so that you could be forgiven forever. That's something to celebrate. And yes, Jesus will heal you sometimes. Yes, he will provide for you sometimes. Yes, he will bless you in ways you couldn't imagine sometimes. But the great news is you've been forgiven. The great news is all your sins have been washed away. See, this is why James and John, the disciples, they could be beaten and they walked away rejoicing. Because in the midst of all that wrong that was done to them, they were overwhelmed with the fact that they were right with God. That nothing stood between them and the Heavenly Father. And they never got over that. So some of you, you have needs right now. It's just the time we live in. You have needs, health needs, financial needs, relational needs. And you're hoping God will come to you and say, rise up and walk. Just for a moment, could you say, even if he doesn't, even if God never, never does anything for me, I'm forgiven for eternity. 
So your ability to celebrate the resurrection daily reveals it reveals that you get it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your ability to celebrate the resurrection shows you understand that. Why is it so difficult for us to get this? Why is it so difficult for us to keep this in the center of our lives? <clears throat> Excuse me. No virus here. I'm just getting it too excited. My throat's getting tickled. Why is it so difficult for us to say, I have this virus thing. I have this marriage thing. I have this financial thing. But I'm celebrating today because I'm forgiven. Let me ask you this. How many of you, because I know a lot of you wear contacts, glasses, and things like that. How many of you remember maybe when you were a little child when this began and, and, and you thought, I can see just fine. I don't have to go to the doctor. And your parents, no, no, you're squinting all the time. You need to go to the doctor. And you go to the optometrist. And what happens there? The first thing he does is says, read these lines, right? And you go, E. Everybody gets E, right? So you say E with confidence. But then here's what happens that, that irritates me. They get down and, and here's what that Thomas does. Is one better or two? Two better or one? Now, am I the only one that thinks he's trying to trick me because I don't really see a difference between two and one? But when you get those glasses, you get those contacts, you go outside and you go, wow, I never knew that sign was there. I never knew Randy was so handsome. I never knew there's a, a banner sitting there behind him. And everything changes. Well, I'm hoping today, I'm hoping today, that maybe you start out squinting, but you'll say, wow, I know we're celebrating. I'm celebrating all my sins forgiven. I have a relationship with God. That's what I'm celebrating. Now, some of you, you've heard that so long, you become numb to it. You're indifferent to it. If you aren't excited about your forgiveness, about the freedom you have in Christ, about all your sin and guilt and shame being rolled away, then you just lost sight of what the resurrection is all about. Don't let the virus, don't let things that are going on in your life ever allow you to lose sight of the resurrection and, and the most important thing of what it brings. Because that's what we celebrate. He is risen and he is risen indeed. So let me ask you, does the resurrection have supremacy over every day and every thought in your life? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Because that's why Jesus came. You were created by Jesus <clears throat> for Jesus so that he would have supremacy in every thought, every day of your life. In all of your life, every day would be an intercession with the resurrection. And if that's not true, you lost sight about what makes it so exciting. That there's nothing, nothing that stands between you and the Heavenly Father anymore. Oh, I pray that that will grip your heart. And if it hasn't, that this will be the day where you cry out to God and you say, God, I'm surrendering to you. Uh, from now on, I'm going to surrender to you and I want to do life your way because I want to live and know nothing is separating me from, from, from you at all. That my guilt, my shame, it's all been rolled away and you see God's grace in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we come here today so grateful of what you've done. It is so often easy us to become numb to us because we've heard this story for so long. But Father, I pray that the reality of what you've done, the excitement over what you've done would penetrate our hearts today. And we would come realizing we're free, free from sin, free from guilt, free from shame, free from the power of the effects of sin on our life. And we can walk with you every day. Father, may that joy, that excitement, that capture the 
the, the first disciples, Father, on, on what that meant, what the resurrection meant. May that capture our hearts and may it be the thing that delights, that delights us every day of our lives. And Father, if there's someone here who, someone here, someone listen to my voice who is yet to, to commit their lives to you, to surrender to you and say, okay, I want to be a Christ follower. I want that forgiveness and, and I want to, to submit my life to Christ. If there's someone here, someone listen to my voice that needs to do that, I pray that this will be the day when they do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org. Thank you.